Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of the Table Rounds podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Rebecca Stenerson. I'm a fourth-year psychiatry resident, and I'm joined here today with Dr. Bendix Stenerson. Hey, everyone. I'm Dr. Bendix Stenerson here. I'm uh, current in PGY1 uh, in a transitional year program, and uh, next year I'll be starting my advanced training in uh, PM&R. Um, physical medicine rehabilitation down in South Florida. So looking forward to getting started here. And in this first episode, it'll be a little more informal. We want to introduce ourselves, talk about our own journeys in medicine, and really why we came up with the concept of this podcast and what our goal is going to be over the next year and maybe years to come. The first thing we should probably explain is why we called it the Table Around Podcast. So for anyone who works in medicine or in the medical field, um, and you're rounding, there's something that we do on inpatient services called table rounds. So this is something that will happen uh, before you go see your patient. Sometimes you meet with your attending physician, your peers, other residents, medical students, uh, maybe nursing or other people who are part of the team, and talk a little bit about what's going to be going on for that day. And sometimes it just turns into a variety of side conversations. You may do educational topics, talk about life. So um, this is kind of our concept of uh, table round. And throughout this first season, our goal is to focus mostly on the medical education system, the process of getting into medical school, what residency training is like. And that's why we wanted to start out with this first episode, just talking about our own journeys and experiences and introduce who we are to give you some perspective going forward. The goal um, over the next year is to interview some of our peers, people that we know who have had different journeys in medicine and have maybe taken alternative routes and bring that information to you guys. Yeah, and one of the things about Rebecca and I is obviously we started college at the same time. That's how we met. But since then, we've kind of had different paths. Rebecca started directly from undergrad going into medical school. Um, through the uh, four plus four program that Nova had, and then I took a, ended up taking a year off, did a master's program for two years, and then started medical school. So that's why we kind of feel like we have a little bit of a different approach and unique experiences on our own that we can kind of um, incorporate into educating people. And now we're seeing more and more people take gap years, master's programs, things like that. So um, for myself, I would say that it was a truly beneficial experience and kind of helped me. Um, progress when I started medical school. So, And hopefully going forward, we can uh, give some more insight to people who are looking to pursue medicine, family, spouses, partners of people who are in medicine, maybe helping them understand what the process is like and giving our own perspective just of managing life and friends and family outside of uh, medical training too. So, but first, we should take it back and talk a little bit about what got us interested in medicine in the first place. For some people, this happens early on in high school education. For some of us, it happens later on, having a career change or changing your major. But to get started, why don't you tell us, Nick, about your initial aspirations and what inspired you to pursue medicine in the first place? Yeah, so for myself, I think um kind of started back in high school. Um, my parents were kind of motivated to help me figure out what I was going to do with my life at the time. And I was fortunate that uh, one of my teachers in high school 
um, kind of stumbled upon this program called uh, National Youth Leadership Forum on Medicine, and he recommended me to it. And um, basically, it was like a 10-day trip to Boston um, at the time. Uh, I got to shadow um, at Harvard, and I think it was Boston University, um, to kind of get some firsthand experience, go to the sim labs, kind of get some basic, basic, like medical education, uh, just talking about like various topics. So it was pretty informative at the time for myself and kind of started everything. And then after that, I came back and fortunately had some family friends that are in the medical field that were able to kind of take me in under their wing, get me some early experience. Um, I got to get connected with some orthopedics, some general surgeons. So I got to see some of the the cool, fun stuff in the operating room, um, you know, as a 16, 17-year-old. So that kind of started my interest. And then from there, it progressed forward. And you were a first-generation college student in your family. What was the feedback like from your counselors at school at that time when you said you wanted to go to medical school? What was their advice to you? Um, I was lucky kind of the school I was at that they were they were helpful in trying to get everything started. Um, we had lots of, uh, I guess, academic advisors kind of even in high school, but, um, like, like everyone, you kind of have an end goal and you think that you have to be at the, the top most prestigious schools in order to kind of progress and be successful. Fortunately, I found Nova that kind of had a unique opportunity for myself, um, highly geared towards graduate programs. And I joined, uh, I was fortunate to get accepted into their four plus four program, um, that essentially and start of high school uh, or at the end of high school I with certain GPA and um, I think what was it, the SAT and ACT requirements that you would essentially have admission as long as you met some milestones along the way um, to get into me to medical school. And so to explain for our audience and some of these programs still exist but essentially if you make the decision that you want to go to medical school or a professional school Early on, during your high school years, you can apply to both undergraduate and graduate programs simultaneously and get accepted to both uh, with certain parameters. So they may require certain scores on entrance exams, certain GPAs. Uh, but at the time when we were in high school, there it was relatively new. I, I hadn't heard much about them. I ended up at Nova, actually, as well, to do a combined optometry and undergraduate biology program. And when I had found this program, it um, wasn't anything that I had heard of before. But just to kind of give some background as to what those programs are like, but that's ultimately how we both ended up at Nova. And so you wanted to pursue medicine, you applied for this combined program. And what was it like transitioning into undergrad with that in mind, that this is what you wanted to do? So one of the big things is obviously, you know, there's extensive coursework you got to do. I mean, to get to finish undergrad, like most people know, it's, you know, 120 credits and not everything seems to be super relevant in terms of, you know, what your end goal is. Um, and then along the way, you decide, you know, do you want to do a minor? And then you have all these outside extracurricular activities. So, you know, you join numerous clubs with the intention of, you know, gaining experience from it and then also having things to add on to your resume. You know, a lot of it seems nuanced. You know, getting into medical school is super competitive. And then as you find out down the line, um, depending on what specialty you want to do after medical school, applying to residency, you know, that's equally uh, if not more competitive, obviously, when you wanted. And our undergraduate focus was probably 
traditional for most medical students. We were pre-med biology majors, so you take the traditional biology, chemistry, organic chemistry, anatomy, all of the prerequisites that they require for medical school. Yeah, and, you know, going back to, you know, you you kind of learn early on that if you want to do it or not, and you kind of test your commitment when you're sitting there in biology, um, biology one, learning about plants and phylum and all these courses, and you're like, you know, what what's the purpose of this? And um, some of those early courses obviously weren't as relevant, but then you start to, you know, progress into second and third year of college, and it gets a little more interesting, and you know, really sets the the groundwork for what a lot of um, your first and second year of medical school education is. Yeah, certainly delayed, and it takes it takes its time. But you know, now here as a resident, um, been uh, been a long process, but it's been in a really, really rewarding process. You know, every day I show up to the hospital, it, it really um, kind of reality check that you know everything was kind of worth it for me. Overall, I think we had a pretty traditional undergraduate experience, although we were at a smaller school. Uh, I got involved in a lot of extracurricular activities, which I think were really helpful in learning communication skills, things that definitely applied later on in medical school and residency, since medicine is so much more about communication than you anticipate. So getting involved in activities is certainly helpful when making connections in the community, getting used to talking to unfamiliar people, getting comfortable in uncomfortable situations will all be beneficial later on. And looking back, I think that's something that really helped both of us along the way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for my being president and, you know, treasurer and all these different positions and clubs and organizations throughout undergrad definitely, you know, instills your confidence to, you know, communicate with people that one are older than you, two are more experienced. You, you need to kind of get those skills early on because it truly will help you down the road. And so, you know, moving on, talking a little bit about the process of taking the medical college admissions test, the MCAT exam. Certainly a challenge and one of the biggest hurdles for getting into medical school. It's a very lengthy exam. By the time you take the MCAT, I think it's different than the SAT and the ACT in that you really have to strategize to prepare for it. And it's your first sort of preview into what your board exams are going to be like down the line sitting for an extended exam like that. Yeah, I'll say that was definitely a challenge for me. We were in the time where the MCAT changed from a three-block to a four-block test. They added a different section. I didn't take any of the, some of those courses that would have prepared me better for when that time came. Um, so I completely started from ground zero with like the psychology, sociology section. And, uh, you know, that ultimately hampered and delayed me getting into medical school and kind of what led to me taking my extra year off and then the master's. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. I think uh, it helped me excel when I finally started medical school. And that was my first experience shadowing and working alongside where I ultimately ended up now for residency with the PM&R. Uh, so my gap year, I work as a medical scribe in a neurospine office and there was multidisciplinary with neurosurgeons, PM&R doctors, orthopedics, uh, neurology, and they had a PT office on it uh, as part of it as well. So it really became foundational for me. I mean, I, it was at the time it seemed like it was the end of the world. Um, 
didn't get into medical school, which was what I'd worked for four years to get into. And then with all that, you know, I take take a year off and I ultimately find kind of where I ended up. And so everything happens for a reason. And then uh, going forward, I did a, got into a master's program again at Nova and kind of a get into the master's program and do well and excel and then get into the medical school. So it ended up working out that I, my first year of my master's was taking the same classes as my future medical school classmates and ultimately gave me a foundation, helped me study, helped me um, improve my test taking skills. And ultimately I did, I did pretty, pretty good in medical school and uh, set the kind of groundwork for myself. Back though, before you talk about the masters and talk a little bit about what you did differently retaking the MCAT and what other things you considered after undergraduate graduation and what that time was like. And I think that this is an experience that more students are going through today and starting college anticipating to matriculate directly into medical school. And we're seeing now that more and more students are doing things and having gap years in between. So what was your perspective like during that time and how did you stay motivated? Yeah, it was uh, incredibly frustrating, as I mentioned, uh, you know, kind of down in the dumps, you know, not sure where life's going to take you. Is it something you really want? You know, do you want to go to medical school? Do you really want to put this pressure on yourself to have to fill in the gaps to kind of boost your application? Uh, I think I took took the MCAT once before grad and again after, you know, so I had some more free time to study. I kind of, again, started questioning everything, but uh, working in the, the neurospine office, working as a scribe, kind of solidified that, you know, medicine is what I wanted to do and where I could see myself in the future. I enjoyed working with the patients. I enjoyed the challenge of kind of assessing patients and figuring out like different diagnoses. Uh, for me, it was just proving to myself that it is what I wanted to do and kind of you reassess is it what you want it's interesting to think about too and you meet people like this in college and i was so shocked when i met you that you knew exactly what you wanted to do and what your career was going to look like because for most of my undergraduate years although i was in this dual optometry program i was kind of unsure exactly of what i wanted to do and was open to different possibilities at one point i thought about just switching my major altogether i thought about you know, transferring back home to Pennsylvania and wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do and necessarily what I was qualified to do. And I kind of thought about going to medical school at one point and talked to a lot of my mentors and talked to you, of course, and ultimately made the decision to petition my program from optometry to medicine that's how I ended up in the medical track. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, for myself, I knew I wanted to you know, become a doctor, but I'd had so many broad exposure. You know, I, I did the primary care. I did general surgery. I did orthopedics. You know, when you're in the OR, these doctors are like, hey, go shadow the anesthesiologist on the other side of the, of the drapes. And, you know, I had a really broad exposure field. So I kind of knew. And then, often, you know, growing closer with Rebecca and seeing how brilliant she was, I just kind of felt that, you know, she was better suited, maybe in the medical realm, um, being a, a doctor and just kind of what she had to offer. Saw the potential there. <laughs> Basically. And 
Uh, just going back to that gap year experience doing the master's program and working as a scribe, and we talk about this sometimes, what that clinical experience before you go to medical school is like and how it translates in your training. And I can certainly say looking back, it was a big learning curve for me going out into a clinical setting because I had never had a job like that before. I had different jobs over the years, worked as a lab assistant, worked in research, had a number of odd jobs in retail and student admissions, but had never worked in a medical setting. And the the structure, the hierarchy, the communication there was totally different. And I think that there's certainly a benefit to having some clinical experience before you go into the hospital on your clinical rotations. And just to give some perspective, when you're in medical school, your first two years are all in the classroom, all lecture-based work. You do your basic sciences, you do systems, and you're in class most of the day from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday. And then your second two years, you spend out rotating in different clinical settings, and you do all the specialties, internal medicine, surgery, OBGYN, psychiatry and so forth. And then in your fourth year, it's mostly based on electives, depending on what type of residency you want to apply to. But tell us a little bit about how your work as a scribe helped you, and if that at all influenced your transition from the classroom to the hospital. What did you learn in that office setting? I think one of the biggest things is realizing kind of opening my eyes to a new field that was a motivating factor uh, moving forward. And then with firsthand patient exposure, you kind of really can understand how things work moving forward. And like Rebecca says, I mean, there's a steep learning curve. You go from a classroom to the next day, working in an office, seeing patients and not everyone, you know, has that um, ability. I mean, some people are better than others, I guess is the better way to put it. And um, to communicate with patients and, you know, have develop a, a connection quickly. Uh, I mean, you're most times seeing patients for 10 to 15 minutes and then stepping out and kind of restarting with your attendings as a medical student and, and going back in and, you know, finishing the process. But you gotta, you gotta be able to get in, get what you need, build a relationship, trust with these patients and, um, and, and, you know, ultimately diagnose and see what, how you can help them for that visit um yeah you have to be really comfortable with going and talking to people getting information asking questions learning what everybody else is doing in the hospital so having some kind of previous experience where you're communicating with other people is really helpful to your work as a scribe you had a lot of patient encounters so you were writing soap notes taking history and having that one-on-one interaction before. So I think you were prepared a little bit better going out into the hospital. Yeah, no, that's true too. I mean, when I started my scribe job, they're like, hey, how many words a minute can you type? And you're like, "Uh, (laughs) you know, that seems so irrelevant as a doctor because, you know, you think you just have to be smart and, you know, know everything, but there's things that are practical in being a doctor, right? Efficiency is is huge, uh, especially nowadays with with, uh, how underserved the medical communities are. And, you know, in residents, you're seeing just a large volume of patients and you have to develop efficiency. And if you can't do that quickly, 
you're just slowing yourself down, you're slowing your attendings down, you're kind of wasting patient time. So it's definitely a skill that you have to learn. Um, and, you know, ultimately, we, you know, part of medical school training is we take courses to kind of help us with that. But, you know, if you can develop those skills earlier rather than later, and, you know, if you're already taking a gap year, it's definitely, a, it was a valuable, valuable experience for myself. Would you do the same thing again if you have a gap year? You know, thinking now, being at my age, um, you're like, man, I wish I was three years ahead of time. But at the end of the day, what's what's three years? What's that extra year that ultimately made me a better student, a better resident, and uh, hopefully one day be, uh, you know, great attending my own? Um, yeah, I think I think it was invaluable. If I didn't have the time necessarily, the time constraint that it feels like it was, uh, it would have definitely been valuable. Yeah, almost you wish that you could take like one of your courses as a as an undergraduate student in like scribing should be something you can do for credit as if you're maybe a pre-med major. And obviously, you know, the, your schedules are so demanding as it is, but something like that to kind of give that exposure as part of like pre-med bio, um, would be, would be fantastic. Honestly, pretty genius idea. Maybe I should be a Dean of, uh, an undergrad. That'd be awesome. I'm looking back to, I think that would have been really helpful. And overall, just those, years when you are doing your clinical rotations and trying to decide what you want to do can be really stressful if you don't have that background perspective. You're kind of waiting to go through all of the different specialties until you decide what you want to do. And that's essentially what I did. And I at one point considered internal medicine, then I liked pediatrics, and then I was going to apply to anesthesia. And ultimately, after I did my psychiatry rotation, I felt this is absolutely what I have to do. I loved going into work every day. I loved leaving and reading about different uh, diagnostic criteria for things that my patients were uh, struggling with. And it was a wonderful time. I had a wonderful experience. And it's, um, it's kind of stressful, though, when you go through clinical rotations, because you have to make this very big decision that has a lot of implications for your life going forward. And when you're in medical training and you go to residency, and maybe if you're, you're not in the medical field, you wouldn't know this, but say you do three years of internal medicine and then you decide you want to do uh, general surgery, say, you would have to redo all of your residency. So that decision you make is a very important decision. And there are some cases where you can transfer into a different specialty and some of your rotations count as credit, but in general, whatever you decide is the path that you're going to be on. So it's a big decision and you want to get as much information as you can during that time, see what the job is like and what the patient interactions is like, what the culture is like, and it's difficult. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I had, you know, in my third and fourth year I kind of changed my mind a few times back and forth I was like hey maybe this could be right for me and ultimately I think I ended up you know in the right place you know your third year is very broad you get exposure to a lot of things and then you have you know your first six months of fourth year to kind of solidify and you get to choose for most most schools you get to choose which elective rotations you want to do to kind of help solidify a whole episode just talking about the residency application system what the match is like to better explain that process but it is difficult and it's difficult if you have any kind of ties to a specific place or you're in a long-term relationship um, where your friends and family are located because 
so much of medicine can be outside of your control. And it was very stressful, I think, for us for a long time, having, you know, settled down somewhere and in a neighborhood that we liked where our apartment was. And all of this is sort of up in the air with the residency matched where you're going to go. And we'll go into more detail, but essentially you get matched into one program based on their rankings of you and your rank list of where you want to go. So, And then some crazy algorithm. There's so much complexity to it. And it's it's hard for people to understand when you mention... Um, where are you going to be next year? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm looking, I'm applying, you know, I have X amount of interviews. It's all going to be here, you know, close to home, right? And it's like, oh, no, I got an interview in, in uh, Arkansas or Kansas and, you know, or Washington. It's so out of my hands that it's it becomes frustrating. And then again, just another challenge that you kind of go through uh, throughout the process. For us, I think, too, whenever I was applying to residency, you had already seen me go through the school process and you were in your first year, your M1 year of medical school. And so I think it gives you a lot of understanding as to what that was like, but it's still difficult. You know, come match time, I kind of went through a unique process. I, I matched into PM&R, my advanced program. So my three of my four years, but then I had to match into my transitional year, the first intern year Um of residency and, and uh thing with that is for some residency programs uh you go straight into like psychiatry you go straight into internal medicine you go straight into general surgery and other specialties like physical medicine and rehabilitation dermatology i think radiology is like this too yeah a lot of radiology some neuro programs you know it's it's very variable and it's frustrating because it's not like every program in these specialties like that some are categorical all four and then so or all the years combined and then some of them are just advanced where you have to kind of match on your own in this first year so that just adds you know more applications more money spent um, more interviews you don't know you have to apply and match into both of those programs the year one internship and then an advanced program continuing on years two three four yeah so you know, match time comes, first day of match day, the way the match process works is it's, uh, you have to submit your rank list, it's like two weeks before match, and then the Monday of match week, you find out yes or no, did you match? And then um, by Friday, you get like an envelope that says where you matched, the location, the program. Um, I found out I matched in South Florida, and then here, here we go. I have a, a week of speed dating with programs. I sat at my computer from 7.30 in the morning to like 10 o'clock at night waiting for people to, programs to call me after I applied. And um, it's kind of an interesting process. I mean, you, you only get a fixed number of programs you can apply to and you have to be very strategic. Some people didn't match anything, so they're just trying to find a, a, a year. And then there's people like myself that matched into a specialty but just need to find a year because i need to not be held back uh, and have my future program at jeopardy so it was super stressful i mean that was the highest stress i think i've ever been in boards are stressful applying to medical school is stressful uh, rotations are stressful but nothing tops i think soap week and i think rebecca can attest to that where it's just you just feel unwell for for four days until you find i think it was like the thursday you have like your own mini match process where 
um, these programs that you've interviewed at give you an offer and you can either accept or decline. There's three rounds. Um, and I don't know, I've never heard of any other special or any other field and, you know, professional careers that have something like this. So it's truly unique and it's hard to, if you don't, if you don't know someone that's been through the process, how do you know how things go? And then every year they're always changing little details on the rules. So, you know, we just want to provide as much insight as we can for kind of how the process works moving forward so that if the situation happens, you're kind of prepared um, and have some understanding and, you know, you're not sitting there day one trying to figure out how it, how it all happens. And you, know, you want to set yourself up for success the best. Bring in some of our friends and peers too who have been through this process as well to get their perspective on what it's like maybe things that they appreciated that they did or would have done differently um because unless you've been through it it's um it's a beast yeah i think one of the you know another unique thing for us is um rebecca's a chief resident currently so she's been involved a lot in the interview process which is you know kind of gives a unique perspective on all of this so she can hopefully you know down the road give some insight on that um and some of our close friends and you know colleagues have also been um chiefs in, in their programs and specialties so we'll hopefully be able to offer you um some diverse perspective moving forward i think it'd be helpful too that we cover just uh tips for residency interviews auditions things to include in your application um, just based on our own experience and what I've seen at least in psychiatry over the last year having interviewed a good percentage of our applicants and so through the SOAP process Sendik ended up matching in another city that was fortunately only three hours away but not in our home base that had been South Florida for the last mm, eight years that we've been together yeah just about yeah it's uh and so for the last year we have been doing long distance and fortunately it's driving distance but it's definitely a challenge that many of our colleagues in medicine and people who've gone through medical school and residency probably face We'll talk about what the couples match is like for couples who apply that are graduating in the same year. Sometimes there is a way to work it out so that you match in close proximity to each other. But again, in medicine, it can be really difficult and there's no guarantees. And during this time over the last year, it's been difficult with trying to coordinate weekends, time off, what our schedules are like, but it's been helpful that we're both in medical training, so I have the understanding of what his schedule is like and why it can be difficult, but there were a lot of unforeseen challenges. Yeah, and that that being said, you know, it's 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 complicated because everyone's got different time, you know, commitments. You know, for myself, I, I was on a lot of uh, my harder rotations kind of in the beginning of the year, my, my general surgery, my... Um, ICU floors, things that you know you're you're stuck in the hospital from seven in the morning to seven at night, and you know uh, a couple of days a week you get short call and or maybe someone will cover for you so you can leave a little early. But you know these it's it's not like oh hey you work eight to five I work eight to five five perfect and then you factor in more different places and it's like hey is it worth it to come up this weekend you know um, so that was a challenge and then you know part of our 
intern year, we do nights. So I did all my nights, you know, kind of front loaded in the beginning of the year. So now moving forward, it'll be a little easier, I think. But, you know, working, I think I worked like a total of like six weeks of nights. When you're doing those in two week blocks, you know, that's two weeks that just completely kind of disappear. You know, you don't really you interact. You're working uh, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. You come home, you sleep, and then you get to one person's having breakfast, one person's having dinner, and then you you you, you do it again. Um, so these, you know, it's if you don't appreciate or understand people's time, it becomes even more difficult. And I think that's where a lot of challenge for people that are in relationships that one person's in medicine, one person's, you know, kind of got a, wouldn't want to call it a normal job. It becomes kind of challenging and seeing that in friends and co colleagues and such where it's it's hard for people and uh it's hard to kind of grasp not being there all the time and not having a normal schedule i mean a lot of medicine is weekends so there's someone's got to cover and if you don't have someone that's understanding and it's not to say like respectful of your time but you know you got to be supportive of, of you want to have people around you that are supportive of what's going on and understanding because there's there's good months and there's bad months and there's there's weeks where you're working 80 plus and there's weeks where you're working 40 hours and I've I've had both of those so um just in when you have the time off really enjoying it if you're in a relationship or finding time to kind of decompress and get back to your baseline and just not feeling overwhelmed and you know nowadays physician burnout's like a big thing so it's all about managing your schedule to avoid that and sometimes your communication exhausted i think when you go to work you're talking to so many different people constantly thinking on your feet trying to balance what's going on especially if you're in a really fast-paced setting or you're in the ER or even on the floors too um, that when you come home sometimes you don't want to talk more sometimes you're mentally exhausted but you still have to understand that the other person there wants to have some kind of insight into what's going on in your day and even though we're both in medicine sometimes you come home and I don't work in the same hospital as you so it's you're still trying to balance that communication and try to understand where they're coming from and what their work setting is like and what the challenges are. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everyone has, I think in any job, you have your your at-home communication style, your friendly communication style, but then you also have your profession, professional communication style. And I think um, that takes a little more effort when you're being evaluated by people at all times as a medical student and then you know still still a lot um as a resident every every rotation you have an evaluation and you know you have milestones you have to meet as a as a resident as well that you kind of oversee going back to like the ACGME which is kind of the accrediting body for um residency you know there's milestones you have to meet and if you're not meeting those because you know you're just exhausted and such you know it's got repercussions i guess you could say down the road and kind of hold you back yeah. i feel like there's been a lot of points in you know my past couple of years that just are frustrating and don't make sense and you kind of question it and it all goes back to you know why do you want it day to day there's multiple things that are rewarding your patient interactions this last uh, month i've had a couple interactions where i'll see the patient's family walking through the hospital and they're like oh my god you're the doctor that saw my you know my mom or my brother you know two weeks ago and they're doing so much better and that's its own reward and then from attendings telling you're doing a great job and you know things like that and uh, i've had nurses come up to me and say like hey they i love love the way you said this to a patient and you know things like that kind of keep you in check to keep you going 
It can be hard whenever you see peers or friends that you grew up with. And some of your friends may be moving on with their jobs or having families or progressing and it can feel like you're stuck sometimes. And you just have to stay focused on your, your end goal and getting to the point in your career where you'll have more independence, more flexibility, and we all get there and things get better through training. Absolutely. Looking back, I think we're at a point where we can reflect on some of the experiences that we've already had and also look forward to what's to come with the rest of your training and me finishing up training. And that's why we wanted to do this podcast to talk a little bit about what our experience has been like and bring more perspectives to you and get questions from those of you who are looking to apply to medical school, get involved in the medical field, or have friends, partners, family members who are in training also at the same time. Yeah, a lot of this, it's to be geared towards, you know, our younger selves, our co-residents, our colleagues, people that are going through like a year behind us as we continue to progress fellowship and you know hopefully this can continue once we're you know fully starting into our careers and stuff we can provide insight but also for for those around you you know like rebecca says um i can share with my family what's going on but it's different when they hear from someone else that it's i'm not just avoiding my family i'm not just avoiding hanging out with my friends it's there's things going on and and, uh, we can kind of give some unique perspective into that because we don't get to see them as often but you know, just it kind of gives a perspective as to, you know, we're not just avoiding people. We're just really busy and trying to advance our careers. So um, throughout the years, it's been very rewarding. And there's been a lot of opportunities where for myself, I, I could have taken an out. I could have in my gap year said, see you later and done a different career. I have, there's people we go to school with that just noticed that clinical medicine is not for them. They go into research after they graduate medical school or they at that point go into consulting. Um, so lots of unique perspectives and times to kind of leave and change paths. But for us, ultimately, it's been super rewarding and you know we're incredibly fortunate for where we're at and the experiences we've had. And I'm just looking forward to what we have to offer moving forward to our friends, our colleagues, our families, and patients, and uh, hopefully we can give some insight to you guys. Absolutely, and despite how challenging it's been, I absolutely love what I do now. I love interacting with patients. It's extremely rewarding, and it truly gets better as you go through training and you get more autonomy and confidence in your role, and uh, COVID really taught us a lot, too, just in medical training and how much of an impact we can have. So hopefully we can share that perspective and that insight moving forward. So, you know, kind of to wrap it up, I saw an interesting quote the other day, and it's, it kind of resonates with me, but um, something interesting and kind of uh, my my closing point for this all for today is, um, you know, to be successful in anything, you don't have to be different. You simply have to be what most people aren't, consistent. And, um, you know, that's kind of something I've taken with me, you know, showing up every day with a good attitude, motivated, you know, appreciate the little moments, the ups and the downs that kind of, you know, the downs are just make the the ups even, even more powerful and um, positive. So um, take that with you. You know, consistency is, is key truly. And it's, it's so simple, but um, often forgotten. You can follow us on Instagram at table rounds podcast and DM us if you have any questions or topics you want us to address in podcasts. Thank you for joining us today. 
We'd like to remind our listeners that the content provided in this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and represents our personal opinions. It does not reflect the views of our employers or any other organization we may be affiliated with. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Thank you for listening. 